Welcome to Insight, the insurance news podcast hosted by me, Andrew Sawcox. In this week's edition of Insight, we revisit Murphy's sixth law. If everything seems to be going well, you have obviously overlooked something. According to the General Insurance Code Governance Committee, consistently high insurance code breaches are discouraging for the new code. We name check the Peter Principle with details about several key appointments across the industry. And finally, we test Einstein's definition of insanity and discuss again a possible cyclone reinsurance pool for Northern Australia. Hello, everyone. I'm joined by Terry McMullen, once again, publisher of Insurance News. Morning, Terry. Good morning. What's your definition of insanity, Terry? Oh, I think hairs on the palm of your hand. I've always thought that. Have a look, Andrew. (laughs) I thought you were going to say working with me. Um, And I'd also like to welcome John Deeks, our managing editor. Morning, John. Morning. John, what's the most insane thing you've ever seen? Well, I think I think I'll have to go back to my pets, Andrew. I mean, we had an interruption from my rooster the other day. I, I, I have to say he has moved on. Um, but one of my dogs, Cookie, he just goes absolutely nuts every time we go for a walk. He'll sort of just uh, get so excited that he starts to chase his own tail and, and bite his own tail and just barking and growling and doing all sorts. So, yeah, that's probably it. Uh, this week's main stories. Insurers have a shiny new code of practice, but according to a governance committee report, breaches are worryingly high. Can you outline some of the key statistics that are concerning them, John? Uh, Yes, the General Insurance Code Governance Committee's annual report found that last financial year, subscribers self-reported 32,870 breaches, which is up 5% on the previous year, and 112 significant breaches. The committee also identified 172 breaches through its own investigations, and this figure is up 42%. The the committee says it's disappointed that breaches continue to occur in areas where it has previously provided clear guidance. The report says it's a a real concern that non-compliance with standards for selling insurance and for claims handling continue to be an issue for many. It is important to clarify that while the new code of practice is now in place, the breaches referred to in this report were still based on the 2014 version. Terry, the new code has received a lot of praise, but insurers need to adhere to it for it to work, don't they? Oh, yes, they do. And that, that's where the real hard work comes in, spreading the news about the code through all levels of the industry. And that involves a lot of meetings with staff and training people to pay regard to the rules. Um, they're not concepts that you can adapt to if you support them and ignore them if you don't. By the time you get to see the code, the chief executives and their teams and every ICA member company have had plenty of time to discuss what they want to see in the code. They've dissected the final proposals and they've decided they can live with them. The Australian community's expectations, uh, is the best word I can think of, um, and beliefs that they're developing all the time. And the code keeps us up to up to pace, really, with these things. If the industry just delivered a code of practice in the early noughties and never bothered to update it, the whole thing would, by now would be pretty useless and we'd, we'd be struggling to cope. So commitment to the code needs not only approval from the top, it also needs a training structure to explain why and how the, the new code's been introduced. So developing it is only step one, uh, building commitment and understanding right through the organisation and continuing to remind people on the front lines 
of the code's importance is, is really the only way to bring down the number of breaches. And, you know, that, that takes a lot of commitment from companies to, to actually go through making it part of the company's culture. John, I believe that since our story ran on Monday, the Insurance Council of Australia has responded. Yes, the ICA says it welcomes the report and is reviewing its findings. But it's keen to point out a couple of things. Firstly, it says the statistics cover a year of intense operational pressure for the industry, which included bushfires, floods and the COVID-19 pandemic. It's hard to argue with that. Secondly, it says it's pleasing that 99% of code breaches were self-reported and that significant breaches dropped by 6%. That's pleasing to statistics overall. Moving on, our readers and listeners love to know who's moved where in the industry. And we've had some key appointments this week at IAG and Chubb. Terry, what do you make of these movements? Yeah, plenty of movements, haven't they? Uh, uh, the change at Chubb has been brought about by the departure of uh, Jared Hill to IAG. Uh, he's been an impressive performer as, as Chubb's Australia and New Zealand president for the past three years. He's done a pretty good job on cautiously growing the business in some pretty difficult times. He's going to be replaced by Peter Kelleher, um, which is an internal appointment, which is always good to see. Uh, means you've got plenty of talent in, in your ranks anyway. When Jared Hill gets to IAG, he'll be stepping into a new role as head of the Intermediated Insurance Division, which is, is largely CGU. Nick Hawkins has split the Australian Insurance Division into direct and intermediated. I understand that was being discussed through much of last year at IAG. It makes sense to do this because direct insurance is becoming increasingly difficult, different, I beg your pardon, and probably difficult from the pure commercial end of the business where, where broker relationships and very different risks are dealt with. Um, Julie Batch is moving over from the working in the intermediated arm to run IAG's massive direct insurance group. Uh, she's been an all-rounder working her way through the business and building an impressive profile as someone who can really get things done. It's a, a tough gig. Um, great to see another highly regarded woman in IAG, Amanda Whiting, taking over as CEO of IAG's New Zealand operation too. The job in Auckland's been used in the past to build up experience for, by both IAG and Suncorp uh, to, to build up these high flyers. So we can expect to hear more about her in the years ahead. She's replacing Craig Olson, who's coming home to become Group Executive Strategic Projects. So, yeah, quite a lot of change around the place, particularly in IAG, is Nick Hawkins, who, incidentally, he also served for a while as CEO New Zealand. Uh, he's really setting the place up to suit his strategy in a business that's going to keep right on changing, I think. This week's analysis revisits the issue of a possible cyclone reinsurance pool for Northern Australia. John, like the definition of insanity, are we really talking about this? Uh, yes, we are. And the reason is that the debate has never been put to bed. As we know, the bulk of the industry has consistently argued against the idea, saying that only mitigation measures and better land use planning will reduce the risk and therefore premiums in the north. But the reinsurance pool idea retains some support amongst consumer representatives, politicians, and even some within the industry, most notably Allianz. 
The ACCC in its recent report on insurance availability shied away from a pool, instead preferring direct subsidies. But that doesn't mean the government will agree. Now we hear that there could be a key announcement coming in the federal budget. Maybe, just maybe, we're about to get some clarity. Terry, I always come to you for uh, your historical perspective. Since the Jurassic Age, how long has this been debated? (laughs) Well, look, this has been going on since well before Tony Abbott became Prime Minister. And as John's noted, there's been an awful lot of talk and an awful lot of inquiries, but very little action. Um, What's speeding it along now is with a, a federal election coming up in the next year or so, those northern electorates are going to be vital to the Liberal and National parties. Uh, I've talked to a few sources in Canberra and and I understand the politicians aren't impressed with what the ACCC has now given them as recommendations from their four-year study. So I suspect we'll be saddled with bits and pieces from the massive number of recommendations that's been collected over the course of at least four or is it five inquiries? that have allowed the, the, the feds to really maintain a campaign of procrastination. A reinsurance pool, I guess, is, is part of the jigsaw, but it's not the whole answer. And finally this week, it's a decade for the Vero SME Index, which is set to launch this week. Why is this report so important, John? Well, the SME Index is a really crucial piece of work that delves into small businesses' insurance buying habits and provides key insights for our industry. One key figure always included is the percentage of SMEs using brokers to buy insurance. But the reports usually contain a wealth of other information to help brokers understand how business owners think and how they can best assist them. This year marks a decade of these reports, as you say, and it will be exciting to see what the 10th anniversary edition unveils. Okay, that brings us to the end of this week's Insight podcast by Insurance News. Once again, thank you to our panel, John Deeks and Terry McMullen. Enjoy your week and thank you all for listening. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at editor at insurancenews.com.au. We value your input. You can read all these stories and many others at your leisure at insurancenews.com.au. You can subscribe to the Insight Podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Acast, and all your favorite podcast platforms now. We look forward to catching up again next week.